You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. How do you feel talking about money? If you're like most of us, you think it's pretty awkward and maybe a little bit sleazy, especially when you have to tell people your prices. I mean, ick, right? I definitely used to feel that way. And eight years ago, my mom died with $400 in her bank account. And when that happened, when I realized how much she had struggled with money her entire life, I made a decision to make friends with my money, to learn this skill set and figure it out. And it's been quite an adventure getting comfortable being uncomfortable, if you know what I mean. But I feel proud now of how far I've grown in this area of my life. And my guest today, Chiyama Njoku, has a similar story that she will share about during the conversation portion of this episode. Chiyama draws on her experiences as a yogi, a yoga teacher, accountant, and financial coach, and she uses mindfulness to help business owners keep more of their hard-earned money without sacrificing the things they love, such as coffee and being of service to others. For some of you, this may be just a reinforcement of what you already know. But for others, I believe this will be one of the most important conversations that you've ever eavesdropped on. For me, when there's an area of my life that I avoid or, you know, I stick my head in the sand about, when I figure that out, when I realize that that's happening, I know that that is an area with growth potential. And those are the places that when you choose to fully dive in as a beginner, open to what this area of your life is about, in this case, finances, you can make these enormous shifts in your life circumstances and your ability to help others. So while they're definitely uncomfortable, especially in the beginning, The more of these areas, these kind of blind spots that I lean into, I start to recognize what I'm capable of and I recognize my capacity for growth and these things come together to give me more tools and more ability to help people and to feel like I am living a life on purpose. The problem when it comes to our blind spots is that Noticing them is easier said than done. Our brains are really good at helping us avoid these uncomfortable, what I think of as nodes of potential. For most of us, what we think about on a daily basis is governed by the midbrain in reaction to our environment. And in order to change our thought patterns, we need novel stimulus in the form of either events or outside perspectives. Now, as yoga practitioners, the aim is to not live solely from these reactions because a big part of what the technology of yoga was originally designed 
to do is to get us out of the cycle of just reaction, reaction, reaction. We use pratyahara to reduce sensory stimulus. And then we apply metacognition to reduce our identification with the thought patterns that we have. So metacognition is observing our thoughts. And this requires some disidentification with them. And it also brings us into using our forebrain where we access wisdom and logic. My wish for you, dear yoga teacher, is that you do not wait for a big, devastating catalyst to finally decide to befriend Jirani. As you'll hear in this episode, money is a tool and it can be used consciously or unconsciously. Bringing mindfulness to your money relationship will enable you to make better decisions and it will allow you to tap into the power of a healthy money relationship to live your purpose and make a bigger impact in the world, which is freaking amazing. So even though money is a topic that most yoga teachers avoid, I believe that it is an essential skill set to being able to do the work that you do in the world. Now, if you happen to be partnered with somebody else who has money skills, you can definitely get away with avoiding this for a while. The problem is that if you outsource your money relationship to somebody else, whether it's your bookkeeper, your accountant, your partner, your business partner, you are disempowering yourself. And relationships don't always last forever. Even the ones we think are going to last forever sometimes end. Okay. I know I'm getting worked up about this, but in this moment in time, when so many of us are feeling disempowered, this is one way to take back agency. Doesn't matter what your aim in life is, what your purpose is, what it is you're trying to do in the world. A healthy relationship with money is going to help you do that. So I will step off my soapbox and start rolling the conversation with Chiyama and Joku. Chiyama, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited for this conversation. Thank you for, for having me here. <laughs> I'm excited too. Very, very excited to speak with you and share. So I'd love to hear from you a little bit about your background and what got you interested in finances and how you learned to connect that with mindfulness. That's really interesting and unusual. Yeah, it, it takes hitting a financial rock bottom <laughs> when you have all the tools to really cause one to wake up. Um, and I hit bottom when I was a yoga, when I was really into teaching yoga. So going backwards, uh, I'm a trained accountant like master's degree in accounting and an MBA. So letting you know, I should know better. I worked for all those companies. I'll just toss a couple out there. The PricewaterhouseCoopers, the Ernst & Young, the, those resume building companies. I've even run an accounting department. <laughs> so um, I should know how to organize the finances. And, but I never thought I was... I never thought I had money. There was a conditioning that I, I had um, that I later later discover. I, I thought because I didn't, I was not earning a certain amount that I was broke. And so the amount that I was told that I should be earning, especially running an accounting department was well into the 200s, 200,000s. And I was earning just a little over a hundred thousand dollars. 
and I'm a single female, um, no, no debt. So there was, I mean, how could I be broke? Right. <laughs> but because I didn't think I was earning enough, I was honestly living from paycheck to paycheck. And so it's just amazing what the mind does create. And I thought I did all the right things, like cut out the coffees. Uh, I rarely went out to dinner. I vacationed on a discount. I cooked my meals. I didn't join a gym. Um, I was looking for anything free and cheap and it still wasn't enough. I was living from paycheck to paycheck. So then another common thing that we hear, which is, it's true, but I took it to another level was I thought I hit a glass ceiling. <laughs> and that's when um, there were two yoga people, um, not, they weren't the famous yogis, but they were, they were doing really well. One in particular, I'll never, I'll never forget what he said. He said, Shyama, I have to earn six figures in order to feed my kids. So I took that as he's doing something great, like really helping humanity. And he's also getting compensated for it. But the first thing I took was he's doing something great. So I figured, let me become a yoga teacher because I get to really serve and help people. And um, I didn't think what I was doing in corporate was really helping. So I left and that became a whole nother money issue. <laughs> You're all about the money. Yoga teachers don't make money. Need to have a rich husband or wife to make money. Money, 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 money. And so I taught a lot of free classes, which is not always a bad thing when used right, but I taught a lot of free, dwindled what little savings I had left. Long story short, the day came where I couldn't serve. I had to pick between putting gas in my car or feeding my dog and made the decision to move in with my parents. That was about five years ago. I was 35 years old. That was, um, that's what caused me to wake up. <laughs> It was, it was a situation where um, I realized this was true. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. So step one, there's a book that fell into my lap called Profit First. I don't know. Have you heard of Profit First? Mm -hmm, I have, yeah. So that would be the first time I'm reading this book. And I didn't realize that you could have more than one, like really more than one or more than two bank accounts, <laughs> which sounds silly. But because the work I did, I saw multiple bank accounts when I was in corporate, but they were with different banks. In this book, it says with the same bank, you can have multiple or who cares, have multiple with different banks. So basically what I was saying is I saw that you can be creative and personalize your money flow or the management of your money to your needs. And I'm not blaming the education system, but I didn't know that. And I was never taught that. And I suppose it's common sense, but I didn't realize that. So I learned how to, I suppose, control the cash, my cash or control my money 1% um, at a time. Because I was still teaching yoga and at that time bringing in $350 per month. So which is a big distance from six figures. But that was the start of many things. And as I got comfortable moving 1% of 350 to a savings account, every time I got paid, I, I realized it wasn't just about the skill. It was also, it was showing me that I had some really unfortunate thoughts and perceptions about money. And um, it just took looking at all my suitcases in my parents' house and the clothes I, I have 
um, the purses that I bought, which it wasn't many, but even looking through pictures of, of a few places I've traveled, even yoga teacher training, pay, training, paying for that, it took seeing all of that to, for me to realize that I put myself in that situation and therefore I can take myself out. When I asked you what you wanted to talk about, one of the things you said was the real reason yoga teachers struggle with money, which implies that it's not what we probably think. What is that real reason? The real reason is that we haven't given our money a purpose, but the purpose yoga teachers, and I'll speak for myself and the people I, was, I surround myself with, we're not coming into yoga to get rich. Not many of us. <laughs> we're coming into yoga to serve, to help other people. So that's the purpose of your money, to serve. And so when you can connect that purpose and say, I need to serve, so I need to receive, that's where that, that flow, that's where the, I suppose that's where the magic really is created. I did a episode a couple years ago about money. Um, did you listen to it? Have you had a chance to listen to that, it? I see now I have something to do. That <laughs> one I didn't listen to. <laughs> okay. So one of the things I talk about is within the yoga philosophy worldview, there are, there's four reasons that we do what we do and four needs that we have. Arta, Dharma, Kama, and Moksha. Arta is the ability to sustain. Our, our roof over our heads, our food, our transportation, whatever it is that we need in order to make an impact, right? That's the Dharma part. That has to come first. And then Kama is pleasure. So that's also a need that we have. That's also something that is important to pay attention to and to incorporate, like to make a plan for. And then moksha is the liberation. And that's where this is all leading, but it doesn't happen on accident. It doesn't happen by ignoring the other three. First thing that came to my mind is that I love what you just said. And it saddened me that, that what you said is not out there more often, right? Because what's out there that was never taught in my teacher training. Again, not blaming. I could seek this out, but that was not ever taught in my teacher training. It's not money, really business is not taught in many teacher trainings. And so there's this yoga rite of passage, it seems, that the struggle, the hustle, the not making money from clients because we don't want to look materialistic or come across as materialistic, that seems to be the forefront and somehow we associate that struggle, that lack with service. <laughs> so sustain, pleasure, liberation, <laughs> all showing how to serve. That needs to be the priority. That's purpose right there. Sustain, you're able to sustainably serve. Pleasure, you, you have, desire is your birthright. You have a right to have wants and needs, liberation. I mean, we're not put on this planet to struggle. I mean, we're supposed to be free and feel free. It's really interesting because what I hear, the stories I hear from yoga teachers about money has more to do with purity than these four ways of, of sustaining. There's a lot of stories that there's something impure about 
money. And I think that that's an unfortunate uh, story because money is a, it's a resource that can be used for good or for ill. And we need a certain amount of it in order to even have the freedom to work for our own liberation and the liberation of others. When we're in survival mode, there's no ability to do that work. And one of the stories that I had for a long time was that if I just focused on doing the good work that the money would come and that did not happen. I needed to look my resistance in the face and learn the skills. It's a skill set. Mm-hmm. Not bad, not good, not positive, not negative. Ultimately, money doesn't have purpose. And the purpose is to serve. And it's, it's as you said, there's this, this paradigm, this perception that, you know, that money is impure. And, and that's what's driving this resistance with, of, from money. It's, dri- it's like, I think consciously we know we need it for basic things, putting gas in our car so we can go teach or putting a roof, roof over our head. But subconsciously, we are conditioned to believe that money is something that's dirty mm-hmm. and, and defines us as a bad person. And the one best thing I heard was that money is an amplifier. If you're a good person, money's going to help you do more good things. The next thing you talked about was the number one mistake that yoga teachers make when it comes to their money. And I'm gonna go out on a limb and guess, and maybe I'll be wrong. (laughs) But my guess is that they're not tracking it. They're not paying attention to where it goes and therefore its power is actually diluted because they don't know how much is coming in, where it's coming from, how much is going out, where are the holes in the bucket and where are the like faucets that they can turn up? Absolutely. You declare your purpose. The reason why I track your finances is to make sure your money is connected to your purpose. Mm. So the tracking is not so much for taxes. It's making sure that it's doing what you want it to do. The money that is the it's is the money. So if your money is not doing what you want it to do, then you course correct. I love that. One of the sayings that probably this is not just in the yoga world, but money doesn't make you happy, but you have a different perspective. So tell me about that. Let's think about when we don't have, when we cannot afford anything, just the statement, I cannot afford, insert whatever it is. How do you feel? Mm, disempowered. Yeah. But when you're able to have money to get the things that you want, even if it's a smoothie, you feel good. Mm-hmm. So it's, someone told me, and it was so, it's so relevant. Um, when you can't afford to get your child a toy, and you see the disappointment on their face. As a parent, it's crushing. On the receiving end as being the child, my parents told me that they can't afford to put me in camps or they can't afford to pay my school fees, you know, help me with school fees and I might have to come out from school. That's the look on their face. They were devastated. Mm-hmm. When I couldn't afford to teach yoga anymore, I was devastated. That was, the, that was one of the worst days of my life, mm-hmm. really. 
So when someone says, wants to be cute, and no, no disrespect to people that say money doesn't make you happy, money gives me the opportunity for me to do things that make me happy. Mm-hmm. So by, by association, money does make me happy. I didn't say money makes me greedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say make money makes me a thief. I'm saying money is giving me the opportunity to do things that make me happy. Mm. And there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. Yeah. So you're not saying money is going to automatically make you happy. It's not enough on its own. It's like, comes back to this conversation about purpose. If you have purpose and then you, you know, you recruit the money for your purpose, whether that purpose is your children, you know, being able to teach free classes when you want to teach free classes, you know, whatever it is that makes you feel like there's meaning in the world, like your life has meaning. Yes. Yes. If those two things come together, that's what leads to happiness. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you also say that your ability to give in parentheses pay relates to your ability to receive, which is to get paid. Aha. Yes. So the pricing conversation comes up quite often um, with me <laughs> and I always, am t- it's, it's a normal thing for us to feel uncomfortable charging someone because we think that we are taking, that we're hurting them. Mm. And, I, and I'm going to say it simply, we're not, <laughs> we're not, but okay, you're just, you're uncomfortable, a comfort point where you're, you're constantly used to paying for certain things, there's a certain price point. And so typically that's your comfort zone in terms of charging. So I feel like I've taken so many courses because I, I, the knowledge is, I love the knowledge, but there's those that, um, those courses that push the high-end fees, like charge high-end. Mm-hmm. If you've never paid for a high-end program, you're not going to charge. You're not going to come close to feeling comfortable <laughs> charging a high-end fee, mm-hmm. but it's not impossible. You can get there. Um, so that's where I say there's as an association. If you're uncomfortable charging for a class, and I'll say this with yoga teachers, one thing um, I say this with a lot of a lot of love, because <laughs> yoga teachers are my people. <laughs> but a lot of us don't like to pay for yoga classes, so. Of course, it makes sense that we don't feel comfortable charging for our, when we teach. We don't want to pay. So why would we want to, we don't feel comfortable receiving. It goes hand in hand. I completely agree with you. And this is a conversation that, because I coach yoga teachers, I have this conversation with them a lot where I say, look, if you don't feel comfortable with your price, you, there's no magic to pricing. You have to feel good about your price in two ways. You have to feel like the person is receiving a value, like they're getting something very fair and that it's fair to you. If those, those are the two magic pieces. If you can get those to come together, that's the right price because that's the price you're going to say with confidence. And that's what I look for in my pricing is like, where do I feel like I'm like, heck yeah, people, I'm getting paid that much and heck yeah, you're getting a bargain. Yeah. Yeah. But if one of those is out of balance, then the pricing conversation is going to be uncomfortable. It's felt like, let's just say if you are the person charging is uncomfortable, trust me, the person receiving feels that discomfort and they do respond to it. 
And the cool thing, and tell me if you've had the same experience, is like even yoga teachers who are uncomfortable with pricing conversations, the more pricing conversations you have, the less, the more comfortable you're going to be with them that you recognize, oh yeah, here's a human, I'm a human. And we both have options here. I'm making an offer. I guess people also get uncomfortable being on the receiving end of a pricing conversation, but let's just say in, in this situation, they're sharing their prices. Yeah, you might be uncomfortable a few times, but the more that you kind of lean into that discomfort, the more you can recognize, okay, this is a human who has a choice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to share my, my prices with them. And then they can decide for themselves whether that fits with their worldview or not. Absolutely. Have you, I heard this thrown around a lot in the manifesting community, but don't worry about the how. Hmm. Have you heard about, have you heard that? You know, I am like kind of the opposite of the manifesting community. I'm, I'm like the learn by doing yeah. <laughs> school <laughs> of thought. And so like, I think your thoughts are important. I do. And I'm a big believer in working with the way that I think, but I'm, I'm much more interested in what I do with that, like practicing that. At least when I was growing up, like let's say I was a teenager, early 20s, things like that, in the education that I had from kind of the manifesting world was it was all about your thoughts. And then you could just kind of sit back and let your thoughts bring stuff to you. And that never worked for me. <laughs> I, I shared with you before we started recording that, you know, you asked me, why do you talk about this topic? Because it's unusual for yoga teachers. And I, I shared that my mom died with $400 in her bank account. And my mom was of the school of thought. Like, that's what I learned from her is you just think yourself rich. Yeah. And that did not work for her. I can tell you that. Um, so tell me, um, what, what is your take on this? So I, I agree with you. Uh, you that's part of the equation. <laughs> that's a, I love mindset work, but we have to take action on that mindset. And actually by taking action, that's where you see how your, your thoughts and perceptions, you really see what you're really thinking and doing. You get that. That's where the connection comes in. So what I meant with let go of the how or don't worry about the how was like when you just said it beautifully, when you're, you're sharing your price, it's not up to you to decide what the client is or, or student, whether or not they charge, it's not, it's not up to us. So in the same token, the thing that drives me nuts, I'll go on with that about don't worry about the how or that think yourself rich. I love the book Think and Grow Rich, by the way, but <laughs> it's not just thinking you got to do. So you think and then you do. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people that don't do. Probably mm -hmm. because they don't know how, but that's okay. You start doing something. You start doing something. There's plenty of books out there. There's this dis discussion. There's, there's a lot of resources. So we have to be willing to do. And even in the missteps, that's a lot of great information. That's, there's a lesson within those missteps. Exactly. And I think the big shift for yoga teachers is willingness mm -hmm. because I know I can speak from experience 
for myself and also from working with dozens of yoga teachers that there's a resistance that this is just not interesting to them. And I am curious about that because money makes things possible. You know, money makes helping more people possible. So how is that boring? How is that not interesting? I don't know, but I definitely was there. You know, it's kind of funny, like once you've made a mindset shift, sometimes it's hard to rewind and and figure out like, why did I think that was not interesting before? They're like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to learn the money skills. I just want to teach. I just want to help people and teach. So what, what help do you have for yoga teachers who just feel like resistant? Do you think it's that there is a different mindset issue that they think that they're not interested, but there's actually something else going on? Or do you have any other thoughts? That's exactly it. It's, it's, we're taught to think that money is, is boring. Um, when I, <laughs> I'll say this, when I, before I became a yoga teacher, some people would ask me what I do. I would lower my voice and I'll say it like this, I'm an accountant. Why? Because I was told and taught that accounting is boring. Wow. And so just have that, that transfer, I'm an accountant. I don't give them a chance to be like, wow, that's cool. I'm just like, I'm an accountant. So we are taught and conditioned that money is, is boring, that looking at it is boring. But I love you took it a step further because there's something actually beyond that. Um, the fear of looking at your finances, it's, it's more of, it's a reflection of, of the person. And there's a fear of finding something that the person won't like. And so it's really, this is where some mindset work can happen, right? It's now understanding why does that fear exist? Mm-hmm. What are you afraid of finding? Or if you're not there yet, ask yourself, well, what's really going on? Why is money boring? And if you're like, well, I heard someone say it's boring, maybe examine your influences. Yeah. Like who, who is, who's influencing you to think that money is boring or that you shouldn't deal with the finances and that it's, it takes away from teaching because by teaching you get paid, <laughs> you give, you receive. So money is always flowing. That's the flow yeah. you teach, you receive. And to me, it's like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. And so that's interesting. Puzzles are interesting. Yes. Figure it out. Where, where's the faucet? Where's the hole? Yes. yes. You know, and then when you turn on the faucet and you have more freedom, then you can do whatever you want with that. And that's not boring at all. No, not at all. But maybe scary for some people. You know, I, I know I've, I've definitely heard people talking about feeling more afraid of success than a failure. I feel like you're in my mind a lot. <laughs> like I'm thinking to respond to things and it's like, wow, she's, she just knows what I'm about to say. <laughs> Yeah, success scares people, but it's because we fear that success can be taken away. Mm -hmm. Or it's, yeah, someone's going to ruin that success. And perhaps that's because there's, it's been ruined before. Right. And so there goes some boundary issues, right? Why you can stop. You don't have to let anyone take your success away. You're always in charge. You're always in control. Especially when you see the biggest success as learning Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because no matter how much money you lose or how big a flop your (laughs) offering was, you will learn. Yes. 
And it's like the bigger the failure from the outside, often the bigger the learning on the inside. And so if you can focus on that, I think that will relieve some of that fear. We've been shamed with when it comes to failing. And I, we've never, I'll just speak for the US, um, but we don't know how to fail. Um, we see failure as something, I mean, okay, what's the worst that happened? You failed, <laughs> you know, I, and I'm, I'm at that point, but really failing is actually the best lesson. That's when you fail, you know what to do next. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's better than success in a way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's more valuable than success, right? Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like the school system is mm-hmm. really the beginning there where they slap those like grades on your efforts. Yeah. And a lot of times if you go out on a limb and you do something a little different, that's harder and it's not quite inside their rubric, you get punished for it. Yeah, for sure. Which is a shame, but let's, let's think about, we, I'm sure we know at least one person that, um, and I'm all about education, but I know, I know we know at least one person that does not have a college degree um, or even a high school degree, and they are very successful by society standards. And that's because they didn't lack, let their lack of education define them. We also know the person that was failing out of school, <laughs> at least one, we might've made fun of them, right? But they're doing very well. And um, it's really about not allowing, it's a, it's, it's a tougher, I call it tougher because it's, it's undoing something we've been taught. We're taught that A's and B's and C's define us, mm. right? That the, that the salary that we have from, from a, a job or, or your minimum wage define you, that the car defines you, but that's, those things don't define you. You define you. And if, if we can get to that place, then, I mean, that's everything. That's, that's absolutely everything. That's so interesting because on the one hand, we're saying, okay, get interested in your finances because mm-hmm. they give you freedom. And on the other hand, we're also saying, but disengage your ego from it. Because yeah. it's not, doesn't, does not make who you are. And the more wrapped up in our ego, we have our stories about our finances, then the less clarity we're going to actually have in looking at them. Because this is one of the things I tell my coaching clients. Numbers are awesome because they don't lie. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not subjective. And yoga teachers want to follow their intuition, follow their gut all the time, which is great. I definitely support people in following their intuition. That's beautiful. But check it against the numbers because the numbers (laughs) will give you objective information. And you don't know, your brain is tricky. You don't know when it's anxiety and when it's intuition, but the numbers will tell you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I feel like almost like pretty much a full circle, come back to your purpose, track your finances the numbers don't lie. They tell you <laughs> if you like what you see and you want to do more of it, do it. Take action. If you don't like what you see, make adjustments. Yes, this is awesome. All right. So one final topic. This is really intriguing to me. You said that could, ten, could 10% of the 1 trillion opportunity gap cure the broke yoga teacher problem? This summer... <laughs> And um, I, it was has been tough for all of us. Um, and I'm, I'm I was referring that to 
Black Lives Matter. I, I really hung back from social media and everything to listen and learn and witness. And that's one of the podcasts. I listened to one of your podcasts as well. So as a Black female, it would be not correct for me to say that I've contributed to the problem too. And that's not me giving an out. I'm saying systemically, and I'm not trying to be political, but we've all been conditioned, just like with money, um, just like the way we respond to somebody that drives a nice car and versus someone that has a terrible hair job. <laughs> we're conditioned to respond a certain way, which is because we're not born with any opinion. We develop that. So I was listening to a, a webinar where there was a study by Accenture, um, reputable firm, that said that there's a $1 trillion opportunity gap because companies do not retain or reach out to, let's just say people in marginalized communities. And they were being specific in saying um, African-Americans. So my thought was, especially with this civil rights mo movement right now, what if the yoga community, because, and before I say what I'm gonna say, I look at forums, I've talked to a lot of yoga teachers, I've come on, I'm not saying I'm all over the place, but I, I'm, I'm nosy, <laughs> I want to know. The one constant thing that I've heard before the pandemic, during the pa pandemic, probably after, is the yoga teachers are broke. They don't make enough money. And so that tells me that there's a desire there to at least have money to cover things, cover basic needs, very, very minimum, minimum. So my thought was, what if five to 10% of the yoga industry, like what if the yoga industry can tap into five to 10% of that $1 trillion? I'm, it's, I'm being simplistic, but it could be that simple. That broke yoga teacher syndrome, the struggling yoga studio syndrome could be eradicated. So it's really about talking to people that you, it's building relationships, talking to people that you wouldn't normally connect with. When I say you, just a collective you. It's, it's that stepping out of the side of that comfort zone, really. And um, if we can do just a little bit of that and reach people that are afraid to come to yoga, and let's just say that's, that's men, that's people who are bigger than, than some of our yoga celebrities, there's that people who are not flexible. If we can reach out to them and speak to their needs and a couple of them start trickling into your studio and they stay, because then it's not, they stay, right? That struggling yoga studio, that, that struggle is eradicated. The broke yoga teacher, that brokenness is eradicated. So I, I'm really saying this is a call to do, for us to do a little bit more, really dig deep and be willing to be more uncomfortable. So it sounds like what you're saying is a suggestion to yoga teachers to reach out to underrepresented communities. Yes. And to really focus on serving them and bringing them the tools of yoga, which we believe in and we believe are helpful. And then there's a mutual benefit that happens where more people are doing yoga. Hopefully those people are healthier. Hopefully those people are happier. And the yoga teachers have a thriving community of students. Yes. Awesome. What a beautiful message. I love that. And that was kind of the perfect place to, to finish up. If listeners want to find out more about you, want to hire you as a bookkeeper, or you have a course as well, 
where can they find you? I am social media. So Instagram at mindfully Chiana. I have a Facebook business page also at mindfully Chiana. And then my website is the mindful bookkeeper. And um, I'll give one more. If anyone wants to shoot an email, ask a question. Um, my email address is Chiana at the mindful bookkeeper. Awesome. And we will link to those in the show notes as well. So you don't have to worry about how to spell it or anything. Chiama, this was such a fun conversation, so much wisdom, and I'm really looking forward to finding ways to continue this conversation with you. And we will, I'm sure that we'll figure out how to do that. Yes, I, uh, I, I could, I love this. <laughs> I felt like we were feeding off of each other wonderfully. So yes, I look forward to more conversations ahead. Me too. Okay. I hope you found that conversation to be as uplifting and exciting as I did. I definitely ended that interview pretty fired up and felt the same way as I was editing the interview. I'm going to keep this outro super short today because I'm recording it early in the morning and I have not done my practice yet. I'm kind of on a deadline and I really wanted to get this recorded before my family gets up and starts making noise. So I'm just going to ask you really quickly, what does your personal practice look like right now? What have you done for self-care today? And if it's not in line with what you need, what could you shift? And to bring it back to that conversation around money, money and time are very parallel in our sense of empowerment, when we really understand where our time is going, we have the same agency as we do when we understand where our money is going. So for me right now, I did make the choice to record this first, but now my next priority, I am going to turn this off. I'm going to upload it to my where my sound guy gets it, and then I'm headed right to my mat. And the first thing I'm going to do is get on some massage balls and just loosen things up. Um, and then after that, there's lots of other movement I will do. And I'll finish in stillness. Whether that's shavasana or meditation will depend on my energy levels. Right now I'm feeling pretty good. I think it's probably going to be seated meditation. But I just want to make sure that at the end of each episode, I'm checking in with you about this and I'm giving both myself accountability and also you some of those outside reminders that can be so helpful. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for caring enough to share the tools and practices of yoga with your students.